I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You need to know exactly where your food's coming from. That's the, the clientele that write the menu every week. Keeping your eyes open and your ear to the ground, essentially, and listening to what people are growing. The integrity, that, that provenance, that ability to not just know where something came from, but to really know the, the ins and outs of how it was raised mm. is really important. G'day and welcome to another Quicksand Food Connection podcast. My name is Stefan Postuma. Today I speak with Sean Melrose. Sean is a journalist and a writer for the Australian Good Food and Travel Guide, and he's putting together some feature articles about food in Canberra. Sean's interested in paddock to plate, what that means, is it a buzzword, and what that means in Canberra, and why Canberra's position as a regional city differs to some of the larger cities in Australia. We talk about the role that farmers markets play in food culture, the food revolution that's happened in Canberra over the last five years, the expectations of Canberra's patrons, and what travellers can expect when they dine out in our region. I found it a great conversation, and it was really good to talk to Sean. So I hope that you enjoy this episode of the Quicksand Food Connection with Sean Melrose from the Australian Good Food and Travel Guide. Stefan, one of the reasons that I wanted to lock you down for a bit of a chat is obviously the Capital Cookbook 3, which you've just released, brings to light um, a lot of interesting questions. Uh, I guess what what I wanted to ask was what your opinion is on what a consumer can expect from uh, a restaurant that says that they have a paddock plate philosophy. It sort of depends on what type of patron you are, I think. You know, everyone's got their different levels of food education and expectations. So if you're a person who likes to support uh, restaurants and cafes that are uh, supporting local food, it's possible for you to read on their website or on their social media or read on their menu or whatever that they're um, supporting local producers and you make the choice to then dine there and support their business because that's something that they're doing. But if you're someone like me or maybe someone like yourself where you're actually really interested in the movement, the benefits of it and the education, you might choose to sort of support it in a different way or you might look for places that are going a bit deeper uh, into this sort of paddock to plate and forming connections with producers than just listing their local suppliers on their menus. I think there's a lot of different manifestations that paddock to plate type of mentality can take and a lot of it can go far beyond just talking about the produce that you use, actually sort of educating your customers about who your suppliers are and why it's important that you use these suppliers and what it means to you as a chef or a restaurant. 
Yeah, so so locking it down a little bit in more detail, how would you actually define paddock to plate for you? Well, I guess paddock to plate, the concept refers to refers to a close connection between producer and chef or producer and restaurant, whereby they the producer is found within a certain radius of that cafe or restaurant in a sense. Um, you know, a person down here in Canberra who's a big proponent of it's Janet Jeffs and she likes to think of her menus displaying the food items that are available within what she calls her food shed, which is uh, about a 200 kilometer radius around Canberra. What that What that means is that the connection between the chef and the producer is a very strong one. They know each other and they have constant liaison about the products that the producer has available. Um, the chef can give feedback about those products and talk to the producer about what they expect in a product or what they're thinking of putting on their menu and create a close dialogue that allows you know, benefits to come to the chefs as well as benefits in education to come to the producers. And you know, there's plenty of benefits of it, including things like carbon footprint, print you know purely just the freshness and the flavor of different ingredients and also a connection that a restaurant has to the place where it is you know um it's it's all very well and good to maybe use mangoes in the middle of winter that come in from thailand or mexico or something like that yeah. however it doesn't really connect to the region and the place that a restaurant is surrounded by. So I guess paddock to plate is just, is just a way of enforcing a connection between a producer and a chef, or it can be seen between other entities other than just restaurants, just consumers, you know, people that organise functions or special dinners or, you know, having a paddock to plate experience on their wedding menu or something like that as well. So yeah. it can be manifested in different ways, not just restaurants, but it is just about a connection between producer and the final product at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think, I think I guess it, it sort of exists in, in this uh, manner that you're talking about now in this ideal sort of relationship between grower and seller and, and, and uh, restaurateur in a, in a way. But do you think that there is sort of a form of it at the other end of the scale where it's used a little bit as a buzzword? Yeah, I think so, for sure. I mean, it's it's not that hard to source some local products for your menu, you know, yeah. to, to source a bit of local stuff um, and then to be able to put you know, a paddock to plate experience as a, as a buzzword on your, on your menu. Or to, and, and you see it in the media so much. Um, and, you know, I think that anyone supporting local produce is, is doing the right thing, but there, there are some people and some institutions that it's really part of their core and it's something that they truly believe in. You, you know, right. some places might use it as a bit of a marketing tool saying, um, you know, that they support local and that they have connections with their suppliers and things like that. Um, however, there, there is, you know, there's a large group of people as well who also, it's just, it's just a belief and, you know, it's something that they really, really hold very dear to them and, 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 a, a morality almost that they wouldn't sacrifice for anything. So it can be used as a buzzword, yes, but um, you know I think it's up to the consumer to go out to go out there and sort of educate them, themselves yeah. on who's doing who who's doing it for the right reasons and who's sort of using it because it's on trend. I guess that's one thing that you can look out for as someone walking into a restaurant. Is it sort of is that their philosophy? Is that, are they doing it because they believe in it? Is this does this look like a place where where there is fresh produce. 
Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's where some of the challenges lie. I think that as a consumer and as your sort of everyday restaurant goer, it's, you know, you're, you're also trying to enjoy yourself. You know, you're trying to go there to relax and be taken care of and have a good experience and enjoy some food. So if you, if you sort of go there wearing the hat of someone who's going to try to educate themselves on whether or not this restaurant, um, is, is a true sort of paddock to plate proponent or if it's something else, um, it can sort of take away from your experience. And, and the challenge is faced at both ends because someone who does support local produce in a big way only has a very limited time of you being there for an hour or two dining at their establishment yeah. to try to educate you on what they do. However, I think sort of really any education that takes place during that sort of personal transaction, you know, the, a, a diner being at a restaurant, any education that takes place during that process is beneficial because it sort of starts conversations outside the restaurant. It might make people become more interested in a certain product or a certain farm or something like that. You know, maybe they'll go, oh, I can visit this person at my local farm's market or whatever it may be. And it sort of gets the ball rolling, this discussion. So in general, it's positive, but it, there's a lot of challenges when it comes to it as well. Yeah, I think you've led beautifully into another question that I had for you, and that was, do you think that there's a responsibility there that, that restaurants feel, or chefs in particular feel, to be educating people about um, paddock to plate or, or fresh produce? Mm. Well, I think that I, I think that a lot of a lot of the chefs that I've worked with in the past, and and a lot of chefs on the higher end of dining, they I don't think that they support it because they feel like there's a responsibility for them. They just support it because it's a passion of theirs. Sourcing yeah. fantastic, flavoursome, fresh, and, you know, sometimes local, not always, produce. You know, you can get fantastic produce from anywhere in Australia. But good produce is something that chefs are so passionate about. You know, I've worked in plenty of kitchens before, and I've you know, found a particular product at a farm or come across something, or even in certain instances maybe gone and caught, caught, a, caught a fish or something down the coast and brought it into the kitchen and the chefs just have a gleam in their eye when you bring that in because they're so excited about good produce and you know a lot of them just just love it and putting it on their menus and trying to educate people about where they got it from. You know, if a particular organic vegetable farmer or a particular cheesemaker is just making a fantastic product that works well on their menu and they like to feature it and they like to support that local business, it's something that's just ingrained in them as a chef. So I don't think they necessarily see it as a responsibility, but rather a sort of positive benefit of the work that they do anyway and some so like it, it all sort of works on a spectrum and, and some people like to push the education further than others and others just like the food to speak for itself and if you want to go on their website and find out a bit more about the produce then you can but others you know go to the extreme level where they'll feature a menu that features products solely provided by one producer and they'll have a special dinner on or something and that producer will come into their restaurant and talk about their farm and meet their customers and talk about the different items on that menu for that special dinner and how they were produced. So there's a real personal transaction happening there and real education actually taking place. Yeah, and I guess that's one of the great things about the, the Capital Cookbook 3 and the other ones in the series is that you're kind of delving into this to this um, education, in a sense, um, do you think uh, where where do you say that 
where would you say that the Capital Cookbook Three stands in relation to to the other other books that you've done in this series? So, in terms of the books, I think that the, the what I try to do is I try to give an understanding to the books readers of what the food culture in a particular region looks like, whether that's the South Coast, the Southern Highlands, or with this book, Canberra. And every place has its own different aesthetic, its own dynamic, its own different web of connected producers and chefs, its own trends. And, you know, every place is very unique. And so to give an insight into food culture of a different region is a really hard task. But what we try to do is do it through the recipes of some of the top chefs in those regions and then also through features on the local producers who are really sort of driving what's available to those chefs. And the one the one thing that sets the Capital Cookbook 3 apart from some of the others is Canberra's recent sort of explosion in food culture over the last five years. There's been such an unprecedented number of restaurant openings. You know, there's farmers markets, there's food events, there's new street food spaces, there's an absolute wave of social media being, you know, content being created, people with blogs or Instagram pages or putting on events or food festivals or truffle truffle hunts and different ways that people can get involved in food. And it all seems to have happened really over the last sort of three to five years in such a quick space of time. So the Capital Cookbook 3's mission, in a sense, was to kind of show how quickly and how quickly Canberra has transformed as a food destination and a food culture and mm. and and sort of show what Canberra has to offer and how as a small regional town in comparison to places like Melbourne or Sydney really has a lot to offer in terms of food quality service and the freshness and sort of connections of producers to Canberra chefs and food culture as well. Do you think that that growth that you're speaking about, has that increased people's expectations um, when it comes to food in Canberra? Yeah, definitely. I think that I think that that's probably something that you could say for a lot of Australia. I think that the food, the food boom, if you want to call it that, um, with a massive proliferation of food media, you know, television shows. And you've got to hand it to shows like MasterChef that have gotten people from being, you know, casual food enthusiasts to people that are really into cooking their own recipes and buying cookbooks and following media about food and things like that. It's sort of a trend in general. Um, Strong's wearing a cravat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you see a lot of that these days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but... uh, yeah, in Canberra, I think because of the maybe because of the sort of economy that we that we have here in Canberra, people have a, a income to spend on going out to eat, which means that which means that there's there's sort of a market for a lot of restaurants, which means competi- competition is relatively high, and that sort of drives the standard up. So. All these things put together have sort of made expectation in Canberra quite high. There is such a plethora of restaurants or street food vendors or cafes or, you know, whatever it may be to choose from here in Canberra. And in the last few years, the standard has been risen to such a high level that the expectation is really high. You know, if you're a cafe that just has your stock standard cafe menu from 10 years ago that you'd see on most menus with you know, you might have some poached eggs on there, you might have a big breakfast or a whatever it may be. 
if there's no interest or if there's no point of difference or you're not using produce that actually tastes really good or, or you're not doing something that the people can actually get behind, it won't be supported because there's so much quality competition out there. So, yes, I do think that the level of expectation in Canberra is high and, and that's to do with a lot of things, but a lot of it has to do with, you know, a, a growing interest in food and education and, you know, people's enthusiasm and you know, people not wanting to waste money on going to a place that doesn't do the right job. Yeah. Would you say that there's anything sort of unique about the Canberra food landscape when you're comparing it to Melbourne and Sydney and these other food capitals of Australia, particularly when you consider sort of the, the environment that, that Canberra is in? Yeah, I, 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 I'd say our, our access to local, pro, like, local produce is, is great because we are a regional city we do have producers you know that that are either within the city or really close to our city right. we have a truffle farm that's a 10 minute drive from our airport that's yeah. in in between the city and 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 a new suburb you you literally have to drive past it on your way home from work yeah. um you know there's a winery right next to it and you know, then, for example, out in a place like Pialigo, there's Pialigo Estate that produces some of Australia's best bacon or they've got beehives or olive groves or, you know, not to mention our wineries that are just within striking distance, just so close. You can do a day trip to a winery and have a great lunch in the countryside. And all of this stuff is so readily available in Canberra. I've worked in restaurants before where the chef will say, all right, I'll see you in an hour. And an hour later, they'll come back with a whole pig and a, a, a bootload full of veggies that they've just gone and picked up from a local farm. That sort of stuff's not available in the bigger cities. And that's why I think that people in Canberra are really supportive of local producers because they do have a constant sort of point of contact with producers around them. And the names of these farms and the names of these producers become really f familiar to them. And that means that they have a connection to them and it means that they want to support them. It's, it's kind of a bit harder to do that in life larger cities. Right. Uh, if it was okay, I'd like to quickly just talk about um, Quicksand Food Connection for a moment. Uh, yeah. I think it's such a great idea. I was wondering where the inspiration for it came from. Well, I have been making regional cookbooks for a while now, and I found myself in a lot of positions where I'd be speaking one-on-one -on -one to a chef about their food and the dishes and how they created their menu and the producers that they used. And I found those conversations just fascinating. Yeah. Um, you know, I could sit there and talk about food with a chef at nauseam because there's so much information to absorb and it's something that I'm passionate about. Um, and, you know, in, in numerous instances as well, I'd kind of, having a journal, journalism background, I'd record these conversations on my phone so I'd be able to write a feature later, later on. And yeah. just listening to those conversations was fascinating to me, just to listen to our chat. And the same goes for talking to producers, to get the story of what they've been doing and their passion in what they do. Um, you know, I, I was doing it for a long time without making that content available. And it was a pretty logical next step for me because I just thought, look, if I find these conversations fascinating, I'm sure that there's some other people out there that will as well. And with the access to technology and the ability to publish content online mm. now easily, it was just, it, it was really logical for me. I, I, I just thought, well, now with this new cookbook, and I started the Quicksand Food Connection with the Southern Highlands cookbook um, yeah. series of the Quicksand Food Connection. Um, 
I'm going to take along a microphone and, and teach myself how to record professional conversations and edit them into a podcast format so that people who read our books can, can scan a QR code that's inside, inside the book. They, if they read a feature and find it interesting, they can then go and rather than you know, reading a page of words, they can listen to a half an hour conversation with that person that really drives home their story. You can hear the emotion in that person's voice. You can hear their passion and you can yeah. hear all the details that don't necessarily make it onto uh, sort of 250 or 300 word feature because wow. you know th- you just can't fit you just can't fit it all into a book I'd love to but uh, if you're making a cookbook it's hard to justify a hundred pages of pure text it, it it's not it's not going to sell if you know what I mean so making that a con- content available available for people who are interested in it was a natural thing for me and then also to just give to give chefs and producers a different sort of a platform to share their stories is, is, is so important because there's a lot of media out there and a lot of it comes in the form of quick links that you click on Facebook and and have a quick scan or a read of or in an Instagram post you can find out a small amount and if you're really interested you might visit their website and find out some more. But this this format, this sort of long form conversation format allows for the people to just kind of tell their story in their own words. There's no editing, there's no agenda. It's just a conversation about what they do, trying to give people an insight into the passion that they have and, you know, their beginnings and their direction and what they're trying to do for the future. And it's it's about educating people about what chefs and producers do and giving them a platform on which to promote it. Yeah, it's such a, a practical form of media, I think, just because, and, and from, from the perspective of, of buying a cookbook, it just seems to make sense, doesn't it? I mean, you, you get your, your thick cookbook and um, make a few recipes, but then you've got all this extra content there to explore and to, to enjoy while you're cooking up stuff or whatever you yeah. want. It's just such a practical medium. Yeah, that, that was the idea. I mean, you know, I, I'm in such a fortunate position in what I do to be able to meet and talk to these people. They're such inspiring characters, chefs and producers who are so passionate about what they do. You know, with this Canberra book, I got to sit down for over half an hour, sometimes an hour with about 60 people, 60 restaurateurs, chefs, you know, farmers markets, organizers, street food event coordinators, producers, coffee makers. You know, I, I talked with Sasha, Sasha Sestic, who won the World Barista Championships in 2015, in such a privileged position to be able to talk to these people. And it really wasn't that difficult to, to sort of say, look, like, I, I need to be able to document these conversations because. I, there's such a wealth, there's such a wealth of information there, and it needs to be able to to be public and to be available to people who are interested. Yes, yeah, um, makes for a fantastic, fantastic listening and reading as well. Do you think that um, producers, particularly, uh, happen to be included in a cookbook and podcast? Consider, considering, I guess, they're kind of left out of a lot of cookbooks. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing, and to be honest. The producer side of what I do doesn't make up as as larger of a percentage as I'd probably like to because we're making cookbooks. The majority of the pages are filled by recipes because right. people like yeah. recipes and like buying books with recipes. So, you know, with the Canberra book, we probably had a dozen or so producers feature in the book alongside about 45 different chefs. Now, there's so many producers out there who 
who have amazing stories to tell. And, you know, some of the most interesting conversations and some of the funnest days for me in terms of going out and photographing stuff is visiting a farm and, and, you know, in some cases, you know, getting out there on the dirt bikes and rounding up sheep or digging up truffles with dogs and things like that. Um, it's, it's, it's an amazing experience. And, yeah, they especially them, you know, I, I think a lot of the time, particular chefs, some chefs get quite a lot of credence in local media of being sort of heroes of local food in opening a new place. People are always interested in the new restaurant that's opening or the new cafe that's doing this or, or that. And there's always a lot of media about that sort of thing. But you rarely see in whether it be online publications or, uh, you know, print media, you, you don't see the same amount of content coming in about producers. And I think that their role is just as important as chefs. You know, we, we don't eat at restaurants all the time. We have to buy our produce somewhere also. And you, if, you, if you're a farmer's market shopper or something, you might find yourself eating eating local produce that you bought from a farmer five nights a week and maybe dining out three times a week so the majority of what you're eating more of the story comes from the producer rather than from the chef that's cooking yeah. for you so you know once again being able to give a bit of a platform for farmers to be able to advertise what they do in a sense and talk about their stories was really important and a lot of the time they're very happy for that and and i guess the other thing as well is that I think chefs and restaurateurs and, and, and people in the city are a bit more media savvy. So if you look at their website, it's much more slick. There's, yeah. you know, they've got a, they've got a strong social media presence and people are able to keep in touch with what they do. But mm. a lot of these producers are so busy picking spuds that they don't have the time to create an Instagram account with thousands of <laughs> followers and they don't have the experience to be able to get their stories out there in, in different ways. So, you know, they, they need help more than anyone, to be honest, when it comes to advertising what they do. And a lot of the time they're sort of walking a thin line when it comes to the economics of what they do also. A lot of the time it's a passion project that, that sort of grew into a full-time occupation or it might be a, a generational thing. It was a farm that was handed down. And, um, yeah, so, you know, they definitely need the support and I'm happy to try to give that to them as much as possible. I think um, when going through the podcast and the book and stuff, one thing that jumped out for me a little bit is you sort of notice this um, trend of people like um, you've got Moreland's Biodynamic Lamb and you've got uh, Canberra Urban Honey, these people that are doing things to really improve the environment and improve the, the landscape um, and really hands-on with the environment. And, and then you've got um, a lot of restaurants and outlets that are, sort of seem more like career orientated and it's about, um, you know, how to make the best dish and, and careers and expectations and, and that type of thing. Do you think that there's like a, a distinct difference in the approach between these sort of two groups of people? Mm, yeah, I, I think so. I, there, there are some producers out there that are um, economically driven and, and, career driven and things like that there's some producers out there that are bloody good business people um but a lot of the time a lot of the time they do it because they're passionate about it also there's people that you know i've i've, I've met people who have given up high profile business jobs to go and do something do do something different and follow a passion of um 
you know, growing something or making something, whether it be olive oil or cheese or or whatever it might be. Um, there's people doing it for different reasons, but when you know, it's it's interesting you mentioned both Moreland's Biodynamic Lamb and Canberra Urban Honey. I think that one thing that makes them stand out, and and a lot of other producers as well, is that their their philosophy sort of transcends purely the production of food for market. It's also about improving the environment and making a difference in in a way that in a way that's more than just you know growing lamb or making or or, or you know keeping bees and making honey they by uh Moreland's biodynamic lamb they plant tens of thousands of native trees onto their farm to create a system that that promotes the proliferation of rare and native right. bird species yeah. and marsupials and insects and things like that, and they sort of live on the philosophy that having a having a healthy and resilient habitat on their farm will translate into a good um, lamb product at the end of the day. And at the same time, you know, Canberra Urban Honey works on a system where we're facing a bit of a pollination crisis here in Canberra, and people's people's veggies and flowers and plants aren't getting pollinated to the rate that they should be and they're trying to implement a system where there's hives within five kilometers of each other everywhere around Canberra which means that there's no sort of dead spots in in bee activity which sort of promotes growth in plants and flowers and vegetables throughout the whole of our region and that's such a noble thing to do you know they could they could well just have their hives out on a farm in the bush somewhere and produce a bunch of honey and go and sell it at the markets but what they do sort of transcends just the production of honey it's about benefiting the environment and benefiting the populace benefiting people in Canberra anyone who grows something in their yard yeah I guess that, that's what I was getting at that this it's almost as if the product is is a result of a broader philosophy that they have, which is quite um, noble, as you say. In contrast to um, restaurateurs and producers that have perhaps a different a different take on things. It's not like that they don't want to improve the environment or anything like that. It's just that they're working in a different space, different headspace. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, there's only so much opportunity you've got as a chef to be able to make a difference in certain ways. I mean, everyone can, everyone who's got a public platform, whether it be the door of a restaurant or a social media presence or whatever, has an ability to promote you know, other small businesses, you know, there's cafes here in Canberra that constantly have collaborations with different designers, whether it be the ceramics that they use or the artwork that they have in their space. And and that sort of thing promotes small business and promotes culture, you know, local culture within within Canberra. And and those are the sorts of things that restaurants can do and do do in in, in Canberra and in other parts of Australia. It's just that you know, when it comes to environmental things, there's there's only so much that a restaurant can do out of the space that they've got. So they are working in different spaces, but a lot of the time they're they're trying to find different ways to, you know, do make a cause, support a cause that that that's a bit higher than just putting food on a plate and and giving it to a customer or putting honey in a jar and selling it at a farmer's market. Yeah, they're out there on the front line in a way, um, and a lot of the. Like we mentioned earlier, a lot of the that expectation that we were talking about comes from these top of the line venues. Yeah, definitely. The the the, the top of the line venues have been 
leading leading the way forever and they continue to do so and yeah it's 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 fantastic because i think that's maybe one of the reasons why you know expectation like you mentioned before has gotten higher on a lower level on on the level of cafes for example you know everyone watches masterchef and the and the chefs that they feature there are people like heston blumenthal and yeah. you know some of these some of these people that are just absolute world class chefs and you might see them using an ingredient or a process that uh, that was originally developed for fine dining, but that's now all trickled down into cafe culture. You know, sous vide cooking has yeah. really taken off within the last, say, five years. Five years ago, it was only something that Haddad or Michelin star restaurants used yeah. or knew how to use. But now with technology and education, you can go and buy a sous vide element in a water bath for less than $100 and you can have it in your cafe kitchen and there's you know educational tools out there on how to use them. And also, you know, in the ingredient space, you might look at a something like a sea plant or a or a type of flower or a native herb or a, a native fruit that was featured on the menu of a really high level restaurant. Um you wouldn't know anything about it if it wasn't for them because they're the ones out there doing the research and finding something really original. But that sort of thing now trickles down and there's online companies that anyone can go to now to purchase sort of rare and exotic ingredients. There's there's just such a wealth out there of education and information. I think social media has to do to do with it quite a lot as well. The spreading of information about these different products, processes, techniques, and stuff that that are available to people. So, yeah, it, it all starts at the top, and it continues to do so. It continues to start at the top and to have a sort of a trickle down effect and to become a part of mainstream culture. And I think that it's so beneficial because it allows people it, it educates people about food and it, it raises the expectation like you mentioned earlier you know people want to see something interesting on the menus of their local restaurants and cafes yeah and i guess also another part of this is uh, something that comes up a lot in the podcasts and that is the food markets and i guess i wanted to ask you if they if you think they play a role in all this sort of connecting these um different spaces the the restaurants and the and the producers yeah, the the, food, the the farmers markets, and it's fantastic to see such a growth of farmers markets. Once again, five years ago, there wasn't that many around. There was one here in Canberra. There was one on the south coast, um, and none in the southern highlands, the regions that I currently work in. And uh, yeah, now there's now there's multiple ones in each one of these regions, and there's such a hive of education and information for people. People can meet their farmers and start a conversation whether you're a chef or a or, or just an average punter you can have a chat with your supplier about what they do you can educate yourself about food i love going to a farmer's market so much not just because i come home with the freshest and best local ingredients that i possibly can but because i can get education off the people who grow it so on Saturday morning, I was at the farmers markets, and you know I bought a cut of lamb that i wasn 't necessarily familiar with cooking and it was, it was it was a bit of a you know out there cut and I just said, "How would you do this you know what 's the best way to cook this and they tell you because they do it at home every couple of days being a lamb farmer and um, and they tell you where their food, where how they raise their food and 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 just having that knowledge of the provenance of a product and that it's been 
packed onto the farmer's truck the night before, brought to where you are, and you know the the carbon footprint's low, the freshness is high, the flavour's high, and the supportive nature of the farmer's market's network is such a benef- beneficial thing. Is is just a really good feeling. You always come home f- from the farmer's markets with your groceries just feeling good. I like it. <laughs> so having said all that and sort of um, all of this explosion of, um, of food in, in Canberra, what do you think that a sort of foodie conscious traveler to Canberra is going to be walking away thinking in 2017? Uh, well, yeah, if, if you're a foodie conscious traveler, you probably come to Canberra, say if you come for a long weekend, you probably base your trip around meals. You know, you want to have brunch somewhere and maybe you do something for, for the day and then you go out for drinks and dinner. Um, if you're pointed in the right direction and you go and you, and you go to some some good places of which there are heaps in Canberra, you you'll probably come away pretty surprised. If you're someone from Sydney or Melbourne who is used to a high standard of food and beverage when you go out, and you know your local coffee is your your favourite coffee in the entire world, and your local restaurant, your local Italian place is your favourite weekly eats, um, you'll probably be surprised that. The standard there there's so much to offer there's different little different corners of Canberra different precincts there's there's people with lots of interesting ideas you know it's 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 Canberra's not just sort of following the trends of the biggest cities but it's really there's a lot of people pushing each other to do something different to really sort of make this place unique so you know if 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 you if you're conscious and and you do a little bit of research and you go to the right places you go to the farmers markets you visit some good wineries you go to some nice restaurants you have some nice cocktails and you grab some locally roasted coffee in the morning you'll have a fantastic experience and you'll you'll go away surprised at the level that we've got here for the type of city that we are um you know, it's a bit of a mantra in Canberra at the moment. People are saying Canberra's now cool. You know, Canberra's shed, shedding its bureaucratic image, and it's it's, it's got more it's got more culture than than once thought. But you know, the old Canberra's a boring public servant place is probably still something that resonates in in larger cities like Melbourne or Sydney. So I'd I'd like to see some foodie conscious people come to Canberra and give it a try and 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 see what they come away with, see if that sort of mantra changes for them. May we be so bold as to ask what you're going to be getting up to now that the um, Cookbook 3 is out? What's in the pipeline? Uh, good question. We've got a few things happening this year. Um, I want to continue the podcast and I, I, I think it's, it's, such a, it's such a great thing and it's, it's, it's something that's so important to me that I think that I'd, I'd like to continue doing the podcast as something that stands outside the cookbooks. Like I don't think I necessarily have to be making a cookbook to be able to talk to people and release episodes of the podcast. So that's something that's going to continue. Um, we're looking at working with some restaurants and producers that we've come across in the past, some restaurants that have been doing things for years and have a really interesting story to tell and maybe making some publications in collaboration with them, including some of the producers that they use locally as well. Um, And we're also looking at 
different ways of packaging what we do you know we 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 make books now we've got a website where you can find sort of features on uh some of the producers and 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 the recipes from our books and from the chefs that that contribute to what we do and we've now got an audio component so you can listen to our podcast so we're looking at making moving into sort of the video space maybe as well and getting some faces up on the screen so people can connect to who those people actually are and what they do um you know, something that, that that keeps on ringing through my head is 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 how much I love talking to producers and going out to farms. So, working with producers and not necessarily just farmers, but there's a lot of people making products. You know, they may make different mueslis, or they make they make preserves, or pickles, or jams, or cakes, or biscuits, or whatever it may be. And these people are also passionate as well. Um, so talking to these sorts of producers as well, it's something that's sort of on my radar for things to do. But having having released two books last year, and um, you know having a bit of breathing space now in January has been been quite good to sort of regroup and look for new directions for quicksand food. Yeah, well, we'll all be waiting with anticipation <laughs> what, what comes out, that's for sure. Yeah, no worries. Talking with you, Stefan. No worries, Sean. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Sean Melrose from the Australian Good Food and Travel Guide. If you want to find the story that Sean writes about Canberra food and the Capital Cookbook 3, you'll be able to find it on their website, which is agfg.com.au, or you can follow them on social media. If you want to find out more about us, you can visit our website, quicksandfood.com, or follow us on social media at quicksandfood on Facebook and on Instagram. Thanks for listening to this episode, and we'll see you again next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.